This episode is brought to you by March of Dimes, who is honoring National Birth Defects Prevention Month this January 2021. Go find them on social media and share the hashtag best for you, best for baby. That's the number four. Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about the many ways those three topics are connected, especially here in the U.S. I'm a registered nurse with a couple of decades of experience working in labor and delivery. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, which you can find wherever you buy your books. I'm also the mother of several grown kids and I've lived to tell the tale. I'm a longtime advocate for women's equality, better maternal health, and women's lives around the world. That's my bank of expertise and what I bring to the table in this good long podcast conversation we're having. So, what a week in politics. Like you, no doubt, I am stunned by the events that took place at the Capitol in D.C. on January 6th. We only have about a week to go on this administration, but I cannot wait to see it kicked out the door. I don't want to talk much about the attempt to overthrow the government today because while it does connect with our lives as women, parents, and global citizens, it's just too much to cover here on the podcast. Instead, I'll leave it up to you to track on social media and in the news, and I'll keep my fingers crossed by this time next week, we'll be on our way to a more peaceful and productive body of leadership in this country. Instead, I want to talk about something that's a huge part of parenting for many of us. The impact of losing a pregnancy, having a stillbirth, or having a child with a disability. Now, we've talked about all that a few times here on the podcast, but I think there's room to talk about it more often and much louder. We know that about 20% of all pregnancies will result in miscarriage for whatever reason. While many of those happen before a woman knows she's pregnant, many happen further into a pregnancy when that woman and her family have you know, already bonded with the baby. It's one of the toughest things a woman will go through. And throughout history, it's been one that women are discouraged from sharing. Now that goes back to the barbarist concept that a woman's worth is measured in her ability to produce children. In more recent times, our hesitance to talk about pregnancy loss is related to our cultural norm that we're not supposed to share our pregnancy news until after 12 weeks when there's less risk for miscarriage. I think that's harsh because whether you miscarry at three weeks or 19 weeks or whatever, It's a sad, scary, heartbreaking experience that women shouldn't be expected to go through alone. Now, I understand that a lot of women just want their privacy. I get it. But I don't think it should be a cultural norm that we don't talk about these things. I think that should just be a personal choice. And what about stillbirth and babies born too young or with health problems that mean they won't survive? And what about stillbirth? and babies born too young, or with health problems that mean they won't survive? What about the fragile, fragile babies in the NICU whose parents invest every speck of hope they have in the chance that they'll survive? 
This is stuff we need to talk about because while normal pregnancies and healthy babies happen more frequently, every woman knows a woman who has experienced this type of loss. If you don't think you know, ask around. I swear, you know someone. She's just keeping it quiet. She's just dealing with grief and loss alone. Sad, right? So this week, we're going to talk with a mother who has experienced miscarriages, a premature birth, the death of her son, and eventually the birth of her daughter. Along the way, she connected with March of Dimes, who helped her access the support and resources she and her family needed to get through it. Let's take a real quick break and then get on the line with this week's guest. For 80 years, March of Dimes has helped millions of babies survive and thrive. Now they're building on that legacy to level the playing field for all moms and babies, no matter their age, socioeconomic background, or demographics. March of Dimes is honoring National Birth Defects Prevention Month, which is January 2021, with the theme, Best for You, Best for Baby, which you can follow and share on social media. Just use the hashtag, Best for You, Best for Baby, and that's the number four. Protecting yourself and making healthy choices is more important now than ever for those who are trying to get pregnant in 2021. As we continue facing the COVID-19 pandemic, pregnant persons must take special care of themselves as they prepare for their baby. March of Dimes offers six tips to increase your chances of having a healthy, full-term pregnancy and baby. Just head on over to the March of Dimes website to learn all about them. That's www.marchofdimes.org pp and p. Okay, we're back and we are ready to chat with this week's guest. Danny Kilgore is a pastor in Northern California and an ambassador for the March of Dimes. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Danny. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Well, good. Well, hey, I think you and I are in the same time zone, but where are you? Where do you live? So, yeah, I am in the Bay Area of California, so near San Francisco. I live in Marin County. And yeah, so we are amongst all the hills and things like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah beautiful part of the world. You're lucky. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's it's a blessing for sure. Um we were we moved here um two and a half years ago from Atlanta, Georgia. And so um yeah, it's a different a different type of weather right now. My friends back home in it and my friends and family back home in Atlanta are freezing right now. Yeah. And we're at sunshine. So <laughs> lucky. What a what a different part of the world from Atlanta to Marin County. Really oh, different. Yeah. Yes, yeah. very much so. Um, my husband and I, um, we we experienced a slight culture shock <laughs> to I say bet. the least to say the least. So more on more levels than than one. But you know, after a while I started, you know, I we really do like it a lot. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well Danny, I um Introduced you just a little bit before we got you on the phone today, but my big first question is, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so um, I am Danny Kilgore. I am, like I said, I'm from originally from Atlanta, Georgia, 
by way of Texas, because I was born and raised in Texas, Dallas, Texas, and went to college in Atlanta. And um, shortly after graduating, I met my husband at church in um, Atlanta. He's born and raised in Atlanta. And after falling in love and saying I do, we ended up just staying there. And um, while I was there, I was a teacher for 10 years, as well as a youth pastor and worship leader for my church. And um, I spent 17 years total in Atlanta, Georgia. And it wasn't until two and a half years ago when I got called by a church here in Marine County uh, to be their associate pastor of outreach and missions. And so that's what moved us from Atlanta to California, from Atlanta, Georgia to uh, Marin County, California. And um, I've been here two and a half years. So I'm a pastor of a church, um, a um, interesting pastor because I, the church that I serve at is about 52 years old. And I was the first woman that they had ever called to be a pastor of their church, wow. as well as uh, the first person of color to ever be hired. And so, um, no, pressure, no pressure, right? (laughs) No pressure at all, for sure. And, and then to top it off, I was the youngest pastor on staff. So, you know, (laughs) you had the trifecta, (laughs) a trifecta, a lot of, (laughs) there were a lot of intersections that were happening for sure. So, um, but you know it's been good you know i didn't think i would i would um be a pastor at a church especially not in outreach or missions but you know as i've been in this role it's exactly where i'm supposed to be um i have a passion for and i've always been someone who sees uh the outsider and wants to bring the outsider inside and um, this position outreach and mission. I would, that was yeah. what I was going to ask you. What is that yeah. Mean? So outreach is, um, you know, service to your local community and missions mm-hmm. is a service to your global community. And ah, so, yeah. So you have a cool job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun. You know, before I, before the pandemic hit, I, you know, once I, so we moved here, my first day on the job was uh, July 1st, 2018. And two weeks after that, I had to go to, to Mexico for um, to work with some of our missionaries there. And then shortly after that, I went to Thailand and then I was in Japan. So <laughs> wow. meeting with a lot of our you know missionaries there. And then I get to work alongside of a lot of the community partners and nonprofit organizations here in the Bay Area. And so I work with partners from the Multicultural Center that works directly with the immigration population. Um, here and, you know, connecting them to resources and rights and things like that. And then also the unsheltered community, um, working with organizations that provide resources and rights and space and work health for, you know, them. And um, and then just, you know, under-resourced organizations like certain schools that don't have as much resources other schools and so it's 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 a it's it's been a great it's busy work very busy work but um I love it and then yeah. you know I get to do a lot of um because my church is predominantly white and I'm African American um I get to do a lot of racial reconciliation and cultural competency things with our church and that's also been great too and you know in lieu of you know where our 
our world is and where our specifically country is right now, it's so in season and people are more, more willing to hear and to learn, to read, to get to know, to build that relationship and just to understand, you know, what's missing and what they, what the gaps that they need to fill in. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that God allowed me in this season to do exactly what I've been called to do. And so um, it's been fun. It's fun for sure. It's, it's heavy work. I'm not going to lie. I spend lots of time with my spiritual director and my therapist so that I can be strong (laughs) to continue to do this work. But um, yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy work, heavy lifting for sure. Yeah. And like you said, right now, especially. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I was also going to mention, you're from Atlanta. I do a lot of work with CARE, which is headquartered in Atlanta. Oh, nice. Yeah. I end up going to Atlanta every now and again, seeing that city. Yeah. Well, next time you go, make sure you drop by the varsity and bring me back a a burger if you can. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll take your order right before I go. I'll get make sure I get the right burger. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, you and I were connected through the March of Dimes as part mm-hmm. of your focus on preventing prematurity and birth defects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I familiarized myself a little bit with your story. Um, you know, before we got on the line today, a couple of miscarriages, a premature yeah. birth, preeclampsia, your son lived for a short period of time and died in the NICU. Another mm-hmm. miscarriage, and then finally your daughter. Yeah, and that is the very short story. But I was hoping you would tell us more. Yeah, yeah. So you know, my husband and I, we chuckle a bit about um, if <laughs> we were ma- we got married in two thousand and nine. We've been married for eleven years, and we got married in two thousand nine, November of two thousand and nine. And I found out I was pregnant in February of two thousand and ten, um, and. We chuckle because we say, you know, if, you know, if God had allowed for us to have as many children as we've, as many times have I've been pregnant, we would probably have a basketball team with a couple of um, substitutes um, because we have experienced a lot of, a lot of pregnancies, but only two births. And mm-hmm. it's been, it's been, um, it, it was, it's, I call it a faith journey. For sure. It's a faith journey and it was a walk towards experiencing what I would consider with my daughter a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never saw a miracle happen before and I saw one when the birth of my daughter. And so in 2010, I experienced my first miscarriage um, and it was an early miscarriage. Um, seven, seven or eight weeks um, is when I miscarried the my baby inside me just stopped growing. And yeah. so um, as a result, um, it, they were hoping that I would, you know, it would just, my body would do what it's supposed to do and just, you know, dispel the, you know, uh, pregnancy, but it did it. And so I had to uh, have a DNC. Hmm. And then, um, so after that, my husband and I decided just to wait because we were still like, we were still young in our marriage. Mm-hmm. And so in 2013, we decided to try and I got pregnant and um, found out it was a boy. And that was our, with our, I was pregnant with my son, William Jr. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was, I, I, I was a healthy woman. You know, I was in my early 20s. Um, I was probably 27, 
26 or 27. And um, my um, my job outside of being a teacher was I was also a soccer coach. So I was pretty, I mean, I was healthy. I was exercising a lot, did a lot of running around and things like that. I can remember even playing soccer with my kids at the end of the, at the, end of the season while pregnant. And so I was, I was doing fine and everything seemed like it should be a, you know, a seamless pregnancy, no complications, but around 20, 21 weeks, um, uh, I started having some spotting and I went in for checkup about it. They did some tests. It came back. Um, I think they call it an inclusive where they couldn't determine what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just, at that point, put faith with it and say, we're just going to trust God and hopefully, you know, things will, you know, be fine. But then at 23 weeks, um, I was waking up for an entire week with these severe headaches, severe migraine headaches. I'd be really dizzy, out of breath. I could feel my heart, like feeling like it was racing and I didn't know what was happening. Um, went into the doctors after, um, tell, well, call the doctor after it was just too much and um, they asked me to go to my local Walgreens or something to get my blood pressure checked. And I checked it. And it was really high. And I told them. They told me to lay down, things like that. But I could tell. I, you know, one of the things that my mother taught me was to be very in tune with your body as a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just being in tune with your body in general. Because your body tells you signs of things that's not right. They tell mm -hmm. Your body tells you this. And so, and as a woman, my mom taught me just to pay attention to like your period and what happens during your period and all of these different things. And so I was very, very, very in tune with what was happening with my body. And so I was telling the doctors and I don't know, my and unfortunately, it just seemed like they weren't listening. Mm -hmm. And so it took me going to the doctor's office and pleading my case um, in a, an irate, I would say, way that one of the doctors finally said, okay, just come back. I'll check her and when he checked me, he came back and said, okay, uh, we're going to admit you to the hospital. We need you to go straight there and do not stop. He literally said, do not stop. Do not collect $200. And I was like, okay. So we go to the hospital. We get checked in, my husband and I. And they then tell me that um, they believe that I have preeclampsia and that it's a very serious uh, condition that can turn fatal if we don't pay attention to it. And so they told me that I needed to stay in the hospital until I reached full term. So I was 23 weeks at that point. And in my mind, I'm like, so I'm going to spend the next four and a half months in the four and a half to five months in the hospital. Wow, this is okay. This is a commitment, but okay. But unfortunately, at 28 weeks, I was awakened out of my sleep while in the hospital by the nurse. And she told me that um, the doctors were coming in. And they checked me. They they checked the doc. They checked my um, my son, and his heart had stopped. Oh. And um, they needed to rush me to into emergency um, surgery to have a cesarean. And because of how how um, small he was, and because of the fact that I because of the preeclampsia I had with my um, heart rate and all the other stuff, they decided not to allow me to birth him but that they wanted to um, do a C-section also because they were trying to get him out as quickly as they can so they could resuscitate him so his heart rate could stop working. Mm -hmm. 
And so they didn't do, they did what they call a classical cesarean, um, which is different than what some, um, I guess what they would normally choose to do. And so they went um, from like belly button down to correct. Yeah. A vertical incision Mm -hmm. instead of horizontal and horizontal is a more normal. Right. Right. And so my son was born 15 ounces and at 28 weeks, he wasn't, his heart wasn't uh, beating. They were able to get his heart rate back up. They was able to bring him back. He went straight to the NICU and um, he stayed there for um, 50 days. And, you know, we lived about 45 minutes away from the hospital that we were at. And so my husband and I were traveling back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, at one point we thought he was going to make it and he was doing well. And they had taken him off of the um, breathing tank and I mean, the, the oscillator. And he was able to breathe on his own. And he was getting to a point where they thought they were going to be able to take out the pick line. And then he got um, pneumonia. And um, his, the reason and one of the main reasons that was causing so many issues was because his lungs were just so yeah. underdeveloped. Little and, yep. And so because of the pneumonia and them trying to um, fix that, he just never recovered. And so um, after 50 days of life, he passed away. And that was, oh, uh, yeah, it was the most surreal, the most devastating. It was the hardest time of our our lives. Like you yeah. expect you you know, it's some you expect that one day your parents will pass away. Sure. You expect that one day your grandchildren will pass away. You even expect that one day you or your spouse will pass away one before the other. Yeah. But it's your children. <laughs> That you don't. Yeah, it's not supposed to happen that way. It's not supposed to happen that way. That's not how you expect things to happen. And um, yeah, so I, I, um, I spent a lot of time in group counseling. I spent a lot of time with um, a therapist, my husband and I, and um, my church family. They got mm-hmm. us through that, and they helped us to put uh, faith back in 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 session. I should say. Mm-hmm. And so um, we we decided to try again, and we got pregnant in 2014, and then I miscarried again. Mm. Another early then, one. Another early miscarriage, yep. Yeah. And then in 2015, I got pregnant again, and this time it was with my daughter. Mm. And um, I had so many doctors <laughs> at that time. Like I had so many doctors. My, I, I was at the doctor's office at least once a week. And at this time I had Kaiser. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not trying to do a plug for Kaiser, but you know, I, I'm, I found that they were a lot more attentive to what I needed. They asked me questions. They they made sure I was a part of the care plan. It was it was a different experience that I had um, than what I had before, and I was I was very hopeful. Um, and my daughter, though she was born at thirty five weeks, she was born prematurely as well. But that was out of the decisions of the doctors because they didn't want. They were trying. They didn't want me to go too far to where they the preeclampsia would happen again. Mm. And um, at 35 weeks, they decided to go ahead and do another cesarean. This they still had to do a classical because of 
um, to keep from a uterine rupturing, my uterus rupturing. And um, my daughter came out. She was healthy. She just needed to gain a little weight. So we just had to fatten her up. And though she, but from that, we also found out that she got a, she has a hearing loss. So my daughter wears bilateral hearing aids because she has sensorineural hearing loss. Um, but, you know, she's five years old now <laughs> and she runs around, plays, she loves princesses. She loves all things pink and dressy. And so <laughs> she is um, a life. She's, she gives us life. I couldn't imagine you know, five years ago, I couldn't imagine life with her, but now I can't imagine life without her. And mm-hmm. she's a constant reminder of what happens when, you know, you just put faith with it. Um, but, you know, after that, I've since then had two additional miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's <laughs> March of Dimes um, kind of helped me, I should say, March of Dimes helped me to start to ask questions like, why? Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that healthy women, healthy with, with, um, access to healthcare should have these types of things. And so happen to them. And it's, it, March of Dimes has helped me to ask why, why, why is this happening? And I found myself reading a lot of articles about, um, the disparities and the statistics around African-American women and, how African-American women are the highest uh, rated mothers who die of um, in birth. They have the highest um, C-sections. They have the highest premature births. Um, African-American boys next to um, Caucasian boys ha- are the highest to die prematurely. It just doesn't, it doesn't make a whole, whole lot of sense. And so, um, you know, I've just been doing research and, you know, having conversations like this at least helps more people to ask why. And hopefully the more people that ask why, you'll get to the person who asks why and knows and has the resource and the intellect to find out why and to sw- and, and to make some changes. And so, um, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story in hopes that more people will share theirs and someone will listen and hear and partner with March of Dimes or even you, Jeannie, to help get that word out and to figure out how can we change this? Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, this, the statistics about yeah. Black women and women of color experiencing maternal death and mm-hmm. poor maternal health outcomes at a rate of three to five, and in some parts of the country, as much as, much as 12 times that of white women. And yeah. we know that racism plays a huge role in that. Yeah. And it sounds like you experienced some of that, especially with your pregnancy with your son, William, Yeah, mm-hmm. and that you just weren't listened to. Right. And I'm w- wondering if you would be willing to talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until, it wasn't until here recently. So I have a friend that, um, she's a doctor and, um, I, I shared some of this with her and, she said, well, did they, did you tell them this and, or that? And I, in my mind, it's like, I didn't know I could say this. I didn't know I could ask these questions. And she's like, you can totally ask. You should always be asking questions. You should always, doctors should always do this. And it made me think about like, okay, so then why? 
Why was I ignored? Why was I? And I mean, the only thing that I could connect to it is that I wasn't, I was not viewed as, um, as valid that I came in and I was upset and that, you know, the stereotype of angry black woman was being placed on me at that time, not a a concerned mother who a concerned pregnant woman who is trying to make sure that she saves the life of not only her, but also her, her child. But this, oh, she's just being angry. Oh, she's just being, you know, that's just how, you know, African-American women are. You know, that's, that's what, that's what was happening. That's what was going on then. And it wasn't until, and it wasn't, and that was with, I was, and at that time I was in a private doctor's office, but, and so when I switched to you know, a Kaiser, which would be more like a, a I guess, a corporate stream of, of doctors' offices and yeah. hospitals. You know, yeah. there's a certain practices that they that they have to pursue. They, there's there's training that happens across the board. And I also had at that time doctors of color. Yeah. And I and I talk about how you know, even even here, as I'm living in uh, the Bay Area, and the two miscarriages that I've had. I had to switch my doctors from um, that of one that was white and one that was African-American because I did not feel like my the care that I needed. I wasn't being seen for someone who needed care, someone who needed um, to be paid attention to a little bit more. Or I wasn't, I was just viewed as, oh, the statistics say, you know, black people have, you know, high blood pressure or black people are always going to have high cholesterol versus, okay. That's not maybe that is the statistic, but let's talk about your your diet. Let's talk about your exercise. Let's talk about the things that we can do to prevent that from happening or to reverse it. Um, those types of conversations weren't happening with my doctor that was white. My doctor now that is African American. That's the first thing she said. Those are the first things that she talked about. It was not negative. It was positive. It wasn't. This is like a a, a, a dooms report. She mm-hmm. was giving hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I, I'm not really sure why that's the case, but other than there's a, a microaggression and some, you know, misconceptions around how you, how you care for um, individuals that are people of color versus people who are white. And um, I do strongly believe that there has to be some more training for doctors, for nurses, for those that are in the healthcare system so that they can understand that though everyone should be provided with the utmost care, there are some things that you need to pivot when you approach, say, an Asian American or um, a Latino American or an African American. There's just different things that you should do. But then there also should not be a dismissal because you think that they're not smart enough. You think that they're being angry. You think that they're just being um, unreasonable. That if I were a white woman that came in saying these same things, would my child have been alive? Would that have been the case? Um, I don't know. But I, I feel like there are things that could have been prevented. 
Yeah. There, there's a lot that could have been prevented. Um, yeah. Even the fact that when the test came back and they couldn't tell, if you thought that it was could have been preeclampsia, why not say, okay, how about we go ahead and start you on the the a baby aspirin? Mm-hmm. We're gonna go ahead and make allow you to start taking that because that's what happened with my the when I with my daughter. They mm-hmm. said, okay, at this amount of weeks, we're gonna start having you take baby aspirin. Why not? Why didn't anyone recommend that then? Why did it take for me to experience such a devastation in my life? For someone to say, recognize, oh, okay, maybe we need to do this and that now. Why not do it now? And would that have been recommended had I not been African-American? So, you know, it's, <laughs> there's so many things that, that come out of this. And even when you talk about um, the statistics uh, and people raising money for, uh, to, to, for, for the, the research behind all of this, you know, it would be interesting to know, you know, okay, so how many of the, of the statistic, have you seen any drops um, in, in these rates? Or is this an ongoing rate that's happening? Is this something that is, is changing? We're giving so many statistics, but we're not giving any of the results behind, here's the work that we're doing. And here's what we're doing to change it. I think that's also something that needs to be um, addressed. I agree with you. I also think that there's a really strong bias in many um, medical practices to practice Mm -hmm. medicine really defensively on the defense so that they minimize potential for lawsuit. And so it makes doctors come across as, here's the risks, here's the tests. And, you know, they do look at everybody negatively. And then when you come, you know, you look at everybody with that, you know, we we better do everything we can just in case everybody is kind of looked at as a potential catastrophe and it, and it skews the way people do care. But then when you get, you add on layers of cultural differences differences of experience, lots and lots of deep ingrained perceptions that are wrong. It's a disaster. And you experienced that. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. So you are telling your story and you are supportive of March of Dimes who played such a important role in your life. And hopefully story by story, we start making some change in those statistics. Um, what are some of the ways that listeners can help change, change statistics, support March of Dimes, and be aware of what's going on with the women in their lives? You know, how can they support them? Because you've mentioned that, you know, it was happening to people around you and people haven't, mm-hmm. aren't talking about it enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, there are so many, um, it once, once I experienced for the first time, um, you know, my miscarriage, um, women started to talk to me and say that happened to me when my son passed away. I had women to share their stories of, 
you know, this is what um, happened to me. Yeah, I, you know, I had so many of my friends, even from college, reach out to me. I had a friend that she shared, uh, she asked if she could share on, you know, social media um, what was, what had happened. And I was like, that's fine. And so she shared and, you know, all of these women started to reach out to me. All of these women started to share their stories. And it was um, alarming to me that this many women, my neighbor, my own neighbor, she she didn't know that I had, she, she saw that we had been in the hospital for all that time. And she thought that maybe we had had the baby. And so she left like a box of diapers on our doorstep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we, when I talked to her and I shared with her, it happened. She told me, she told me that she had twins and they passed away. Oh. And how she and and she said, you know, it's interesting that you you said that. She says, "Wow, I have not told anyone this in a long time." And her oldest at that time was twenty six, and um, the twins were um, were um, born at two years after um, her oldest child. And it's after they passed away, she went on to have three more children. But she she told me she says, "Well, I haven't, and I have not mentioned this in." I haven't told anyone this in a while. And I think that not enough people are sharing their pregnancy stories. And not enough people are sharing um, their miscarriage stories, their, you know, premature birth stories, their their, um, premature death birth uh, or their stillbirths or, or not enough people are sharing that because there's not space to. Right. And, you know, I think that it's important that those of us who have these stories um, share it, share it, let people know. And because when when people started to share their stories with me, it made me feel less like um, like a zombie (laughs) and that something was wrong with me and more Mm -hmm. of I'm a part of a community of women or a sorority of women that are trying to find or trying to make sense of this. But while we're trying to make sense of this, we can support each other. We can care for each other. We can have conversations with each other. And you can do so in a space where you're not judged, where you're not looked at, where you're not um, dismissed. Um, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I like about uh, March of Dimes is that they turn these stories into not um, sob stories, but stories of um, courage, stories of of um, heroic efforts, uh, stories of faith, stories of hope, and stories of strength. This is a strength story because it takes strength to be able to share or to go through, you know, the loss of a child. It takes strength yeah. to be able to um, move forward. And and unfortunately, some, some don't make it through that. And that's not shared either. And I, I feel like all of that should be shared. Um, it needs to be um, brought up and spoken about the same way you would, you know, um, the picture perfect you know, pregnancy. And, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, Jenny, you are making space for something like this says a lot 
because you don't often have those opportunities to share. You know, I commend the photographers that came in. Like I had a photographer that came in and took pictures of our son. We have mementos now of my son. I, I'm grateful for the, the organization that came in and provided blankets for my son while he was in the NICU because after he passed away, we had something, I had something to take back, to hold on to. You know, uh, the, the those types of organizations are like, um, what do they call it? The best kept secrets. Right. right. And they don't need to be secrets. <laughs> so I, I think that I would, I, that's one of the things that I would totally say that um, we as, as listeners can do is to share your story or if, or, if, or if you know someone who has that story, be willing to listen without fixing, you know, um, yeah. research. What do you say to um, a parent that has lost a child or that has experienced a miscarriage or you've experienced, you know, um, these type of devastating things? And the best way to, and to say their name, say their child's name. Yeah. I so appreciate the fact that you're saying William. <laughs> oh, I love your children's names. <laughs> William and Harper, right? I really yeah, like yes. <laughs> well, you know, Harper, Harper comes from my, jo- you know, my, my love for a, a certain show, TV show, um, um, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so okay. her, her name is Harper Avery, but, <laughs> but yeah. And we didn't, we didn't know if she was going to be a boy or girl. So we wanted a neutral gender name, but, yeah. um, um, but yeah, so I, I just to say their names, don't treat them like they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that that's one of the things that that's a small thing that you can do that makes such a big difference for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. So people very are simple. afraid and they don't know what to do. And so then they act stupid. right they just do (laughs) right 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 you don't you don't and and, you know in grief comforting someone who's grieving um a loss is is hard it's difficult um but you know the best you know the number one thing you do one thing I learned in seminary when someone's grieving um, a loss is to listen that's the yeah. best thing you could ever do. It's just to yeah. listen. You don't have to yeah. fix it. You don't have to offer advice. You just listen. And that is the best thing that you can offer is to listen. And for those who have not experienced this, listen to someone's story. And those that have experienced this, um, be mindful, be prayerful, find your strength, find your courage to share your story. Because I yeah. promise your share, your story um, will change and experience and encourage someone else for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to the time where we're going to have to hang up the phone. But I wanted to ask you, what else would you like listeners to know? Well, you know, um, like I've mentioned, I am... Um, connected to March of Dimes. I love March of Dimes. Once after my son passed away, we decided to um, become a March of Dimes supporter. And we started to, we started a team and we call it Team Kilgore. And the reason why we call it Team Kilgore, and it's not in the name specifically of my son, William Jr., is because 
like I said, you know, had we had all the children, if, if all of the children were living um, now, the many times that we've been pregnant, we'd have a basketball team. And mm-hmm. so we call it Team Kilgore because we want to, we're walking and we are um, raising money for the all the Kilgores, all the kids that we've had, all the children, the two that we've met, my, my, my son and my daughter who's living, and those that we have yet to meet and we will meet one day. And so we started doing that. And so, um, you know, March of Dimes is doing a virtual race in May. And so uh, I encourage people to, to look on their website, um, marchofdimes.org, and find um, a ways that you can join a team, you know, support a team or whatever. And then January, we're in January right now, and it this is birth defects month, prevention month. Birth, January is birth defects prevention month. And uh, March of Dimes uh, partnered with the CDC, the Centers for Disease and Control, to help control, I mean, to help to educate parents-to-be um, and to help educate them on the steps they can take to minimize the risk of preventable birth defects. We know that not all birth defects are preventable. Some you may not know about, but there are some that you can prevent. And so this is in this month, March of Dimes and the CDC is putting information out to help um, educate parents to be um, about what can you do to prevent those um, and, you know, some of the things that they mention, there are six tips that they've mentioned. And one is that, um, you know, during this time that we're in right now is making sure you're protecting yourself from the COVID-19 virus, you know, doing what that is like washing your hands and, you know, wearing your mask and doing all those things that can prevent, can keep you safe. Um, also, you know, taking folic acid, you know, that's one of the things that my doctor um, here in California shared with me is to start taking folic acid, um, acid pills, 400 MCGs a day. And she, she said, do that, not, not just during your pregnancy, but before you even get pregnant, pregnant. And what that does, it starts to build up those, um, those positive things inside your body that helps prevent those, um, birth defects and those premature births or whatever it's, you know, nothing is completely 100% preventable. But these are the things that you can do and making sure you get those pre um, prenatal checkups. Now, I know that um, in uh, communities of color, that's not always accessible. And that's something we have to fix, um, making sure that healthcare is assess- accessible to anyone who needs it because we all everyone deserves um, health care. And so those that do and can have access to it, take advantage of it and. Um, you know, there are organizations out there that do provide free health care for those that need it. And then making sure we stay up to, to date on our vaccines, um, you know, making sure you maintain a healthy weight. You know, one of the things that happened when we moved out to California is we met, we, we experienced all this farm to table food that was so good. And next thing I know, I'm like, oh gosh, I've gained like 10 pounds, 15 pounds. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like trying to, like, I got to work my way back down so that I can be in my healthy weight. And so, you know, that I'm joking around, but you know, um, being at a healthy weight that keeps your heart healthy um, is, it's really vital to making sure that, you know, you can stay um, pregnant longer. And although again, in my story, when I was at my tip top shape, that wasn't the case, but these are things that you can do to make 
to make sure that at least you're ahead and not backwards, right? Right. And um, avoiding substances that are harmful to pregnancy, like like limiting drinking, limiting those recreational um, active drugs and activities that you know you may participate in, like not doing those things, making sure that you give yourself and your baby the best fighting chance to live. And so um, I know I know I said a lot. So, you know, anyone who wants to know more, they can go to marchofdimes.org forward slash birth defects and you can see and read everything that I've said and so much more. Yeah, they have they have a good, really good website full of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, I have a couple of rapid fire roundup questions for you. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's just a serious or, or do you want anything you want? Anything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so nobody told me that, um, there was such thing as trying threes. They always talk about terrible twos, but no one says anything about trying threes. They're um, hard, aren't they? Yes, they yes. they are. I think three-year-olds are way harder than two-year-olds because now they can talk. Yeah, yeah. I always, I know that my listeners that have listened to all these episodes are going to hear me say it once again. I thought four-year-olds were hard. Oh, I thought four-year-olds, they were always the ones where when one of my kids turned four, I was reaching for the book, you know, like, (laughs) what is wrong with them? You know, you said you're reaching for the book. It's like, which book are you reading for? Are you reaching for how to parent well book? Or are you reaching for the uh, how not to lose your mind book? Or for me, (laughs) I'm like, yes. Yes and yes. How not to lose your mind. What the heck are four-year-olds about books? That book, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or or this is better. No one told me that every age was trying. That every it doesn't, single one. Every single one. <laughs> and my mother would say, yes, and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> nope, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and they just want us to think that it's two-year-olds. <laughs> right, right. It's not yeah. just two. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah. All right. Then my last question for you today is this. Where are you in the world of motherhood? So um, right now, my, um, of course, like I said, I have a five-year-old and um, my husband and I have just made the decision that we are going to try to conceive one more time. Mm. And should this um, not turn out the way we are hoping. We have made a decision that we're going to um, adopt a child. Um, we feel like our yeah, we feel like our family is not yet complete. It feels mm-hmm. it doesn't feel complete yet, and so we don't know what that looks like. But we're willing to try to conceive together one more time, and um, if it doesn't turn out the way we're hoping, we are going to give a child that's living in a foster system, um, um, a family that they so desire. So that's where we are. Well, and we have a, we have a little COVID puppy. I forgot about that. Oh. We have, so <laughs> we got a COVID puppy. Well, she's not a puppy. She's, she's eight, but, 
she is a um right she's up she's a pit bull mix and she's supposed to be a foster puppy during the COVID. you know you help um we were helping um uh you know uh, what is it animal shelters to house their dogs during the the quarantine time and my daughter fell in love with her and my husband and I were like how are we gonna give this dog back we're not gonna be able to do that (laughs) we're not we did too we got too and it was a foster (laughs) situation but she's so darn cute what are we gonna do yeah yeah we can yeah you keep them (laughs) yep and her name is Jenny and um the yes and they told us that she was um the owner named her Jenny um after the movie Forrest Gump because he said he had his girl (laughs) I know story I know, I know, I know. So, yep, she's our little sweet, little sweetheart. She just sleeps and allows our dog, to, I mean, our daughter to put tutus and tiaras on her. <laughs> That's a good girl. That's a good, good girl. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, Danny, it has been really nice to talk to you. And I really appreciate that you have talked about some really tough, tough situations. And yeah. um, thank you for sharing. It's been Thank a good you. conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we will talk again sometime mm-hmm. soon. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jenny. You have a blessed day. You too. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. That's it for this week, everybody. I want to say thanks to March of Dimes, our sponsor for this week's episode. You can learn more about them at marchofdimes.org slash pp&p. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Yes, I'll spell my name. J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram over at Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, and you can find me on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. Send me an email with your questions and comments at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Let's talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye.